We've been talking a lot about the wrath of God. That's where we've been in this chapter. We're continuing on that theme. This message is titled, The Wrath of God Revealed. The Wrath of God Revealed. Let me ask you a question. Using the Bible as the rule or the standard for morality. Okay, you understand so far. Using the Bible as the standard or rule for morality. And morality is is simply what is right or proper considering or concerning conduct or our behavior. Okay, so when you think of morality, it's what is right or proper concerning our conduct or behavior. So now, using the Bible as the, the standard for morality, how would you rate the current moral condition of our world? And maybe that's too broad, so how about our country? How do you think God would rate it? Okay, F plus, all right, so there's something there, there's some hope, I guess, there. I heard an F plus, but I, I just want you to think about that. Maybe some of you believe it's not too bad, and that's fine, too. I just want you to think through that question a little bit. This week and next week, we're going to be talking about morality as it relates to human sexuality. I got a few of your attention there, so that was interesting. Uh, it is, it is my opinion, based on what the Bible teaches about morality, that America, this country, the place that I am most familiar with, could be justly labeled as a sexually immoral nation. As a sexually immoral nation. I mean, I, I really don't need to... I could stand up here and defend why I believe that, but just one example would be the flood of pornography in our land. In 2007, they did a study and determined that the annual porn or the annual revenue from the porn industry is $20 billion. That was in 2007. $20 billion. $10 billion of that comes out of the United States. Our people spent half of the world's money, or the money that's spent on pornography, it's spent here. That was in 2007. You might ask, have the revenues increased? They've actually decreased. They've decreased because pornography has become more and more free on the Internet. That's one example. I could cite many more. And I don't, I don't say that condescendingly about our nation. I say it with great sorrow. This, <clears throat> this is where... We're growing up. This is where our kids are growing up. This is where our grandchildren are being raised in this nation. And I would add that by saying that, I'm not implying that every person in this nation is sexually immoral or, or given themselves to sexual immorality. That's certainly not true. I'm only pointing out that a very large number of people in our land, and, and that number is increasing including people, beloved, including people in the highest places of our government, either are unashamedly living out sexual immorality or, according to the Word of God, or they are supporting it. They're, they're saying things or doing things or supporting things that go against the Word of God concerning our morality and our sexuality. What is even more confusing 
for us is that many people who are doing this claim to be part of the Christian community. You understand what I'm saying? So they say they're part of the Christian community, yet they support or live out what God calls sexual immorality. Just as a, a, an example, there's, this is, there's one of many. You guys know who, who Jessica Simpson is, right? You familiar with her? If you're not, she's just, just one of the many actresses, singers, so on and so forth out of Hollywood. My wife was just reading this article, and it just illustrates what you can find everywhere. She has, she's expecting her second child. She lives with her fiancé. So she's already had one child with her fiancé, not married, expecting her second child. And someone who's very close to her says she and her fiancé, Eric, are deciding on a middle name for their child, but they want it to be biblical because Jess is religious and loves that idea. Do you see anything... Do you see anything strange about that? And that is the common vibe of our day. And I told you last week that just because people reject the true God of the Bible doesn't mean they're not religious. They are religious because God has wired us to worship. And yet because they reject God, they find another God to worship, a God that is comfortable with their immoral lives. As I have done in previous weeks, I want to read verses 18 through 32 of chapter 1 for the context. But before I read that text, I want to remind you of a few things that I have said concerning verse 18. And a couple of questions that we asked and answered regarding verse verse 18. We asked the questions, what is the wrath of God? We did this a couple of weeks ago. And how and against what is the wrath of God revealed? So let me just remind you, this is by way of reminder, the wrath of God is his holy and righteous hostility, hostility, strong word, it needs to be, or anger toward wickedness and evil, against sin and rebellion, against unrighteousness and ungodliness, as Paul states it there in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. God, beloved, absolutely refuses to tolerate sin or condone it. We may to our demise, but God doesn't. And according to his timing, he judges it. He judges it. That is the wrath of God. His anger, his hostility towards sin, and his judgment of it according to his perfect timing. Now the Bible makes it clear to us that, the, that there is a time of wrath, of God's wrath, that is coming. And you can see it described in detail in the last book of the Bible that is titled Revelation. Revelation. A time when God will pour out in full, completely, his wrath against the wickedness and sin of this world. But that day lies in the future. That day has not yet come. However, according to Romans 1, chapter 18, or chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, the section that we're looking at, God's wrath to some degree is already being poured out. It's already being poured out against this unbelieving world due to their sinful and ongoing rejection of God and their foolish worship of idols. And remember I told you, Idols is simply that, worshiping some, 
something that is not God, that which is not God, replacing the true God with a false God. A practice that goes on, has been going on for all of history and continues to go on to our day. So listen, when people say to you, when you hear people say, I believe in God, I believe in God, supposedly 80% of America says that. That, I mean, that's the statistics. They say, I believe in God. It is never safe to assume that they believe in the God of the Bible as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. Don't assume that. Because when you begin to ask further questions, you'll find out that they'll say things like, well, I don't believe in a God of wrath. I believe in God, but I don't believe in a God of wrath. I don't believe in a God that sends people to hell. You don't? No, I don't believe in a God that condemns people for their sexual choices. Okay, then you don't believe in the God of the Bible, you are an idolater. You understand? That's what they are. They're an idolater. They have imagined in their mind their own God, a God that they can live with, a God that they're comfortable with. Someone says, I believe in God, but then they say, I don't believe God is a person, an actual person, I, I believe rather he's a divine force. He's not even a he, it's an it, a force that dwells in all living things, in you, in me, in the birds, in the bees, in the trees. That's the God I believe in. Okay, you don't believe in the one true God, you are an idolater. You understand? And for that idolatry, God's wrath is being poured out against this world. Paul says in verse 18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Revealed from heaven, meaning that God's wrath can be known or seen. That's what the revealed part means. It can be known. We can see it. But one might ask, how is it revealed to us exactly? And and we talked about that a few weeks ago, just briefly. But this morning, we're going to get into that now. How is it revealed? How can we see it? And in the process of looking at that, we will find out, we will discover the reason for the rampant sexual immorality that is already clearly seen in our world. We're going to find out. We're going to find out why the world is the way it is morally. Look at the text with me. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Follow along, please. Paul, the Apostle Paul writes these words, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. This morning, if you have a bulletin, you can open it up. Inside, you'll find an outline. We're going to begin to consider how God's wrath is revealed against idolaters. Idolaters. And remember, when we talk about idolatry, we're not just talking about someone maybe in the, in the Eastern culture where they actually have a statue. We include those people, and they worship them as God. It includes that, but it also includes many Americans who are idolaters because they have imagined a God who is not the true God and they worship him and then try to associate that God with the God of Christianity and they are not the same. So we're seeing here how God's wrath is revealed against idolaters so that we might better understand humanity's depravity and the reason for the moral condition of our world. We're going to look at simply that God gave them up to, and here's how he reveals that wrath. This will make sense in a, in a moment, hopefully, as we move through the text. He gave them up to impurity, to dishonorable passions, and to a debased mind. Now, we're only going to look at the first point today, but before we even do that, before we get into the first point, we need to deal with this phrase, God gave them up. God gave them up. It's repeated three times. Maybe you, you, it, you saw it. It stood out to you. And when you see phrases or words that are repeated over and over again, it's good to highlight that, to take note of that. It means there's something going on here, something important the writer wants to make, that the Holy Spirit wants to make as he superintends the writing of the Scripture. It says, God gave them up, verses 24, 26, and 28. And what does that even mean, that God gave them up? God gave them up. The New American Standard Bible and the New International Version, two good translations of the Bible, including the one we use today, the English Standard Version, those two translations translate the phrase, God gave them over. God gave them over. So God gave them up, God gave them over. Both are acceptable and accurate translations of the original Greek. The context here informs us, the words that go around that phrase, they inform us of the meaning of this phrase that God gave them up or over. Paul is pointing out in this section of Scripture that, generally speaking, the Gentile world, you guys know what that is by now, right? The Gentile world, that means the non-Jewish world. That's us. We, we fall under that classification. That's the them in the phrase God gave them up. That's the them that he's referring to in this section, the Gentile world. 
That world had sinned against God by utterly rejecting him and becoming idolaters. That's what we've been looking at as we've been moving through the text, which is the same thing that a majority of humanity still does to this day. Therefore, because of God's wrath against their sin, the wrath that Paul says is revealed in verse 18 of this section, God chose to give them up or over to their sinful hearts, to give them up to impurity, to dishonorable passions, to a debased mind. Or to say it another way, God left them to pursue all that their sinful, rebellious, and depraved hearts might think or desire to do. That's the context. That's the meaning of God gave them up or God gave them over. So here's a question. Does God letting sinners go or giving them up to do what they really want to do in their sinful hearts, does that serve as a form of God's judgment or a valid expression of his holy wrath against their sin of idolatry? Does it really? And the answer is yes. It very much does. Follow the logic. Because when rebellious sinners are freed to follow after their desires, the desires of their corrupted hearts, it will never, ever be a good thing for the sinner. It cannot be, because by God's design, the practice and pursuit of sin, beloved, will necessarily result in a person's utter ruin and devastation. Do you understand? God gives them over as a form of his holy wrath, his judgment. They reject him. He gives them over. You want to leave me? You want to abandon me? You don't want any part of me? Go your way. Live in your sin. And as a result of that, God knows because this is a moral world, because this is his world, he knows that sin bears grievous consequences. And as people or a culture engages in sin, they will reap the devastation. And that is a a way of God enacting his wrath on that society. Concerning this phrase, God gave them up. God gave them up. One writer says this. God's wrath mentioned in Romans 1 is not an active outpouring of divine pleasure. It's not like it will be in Revelation. It's not like that in this case. It includes that. But here in Romans 1.18, it is the removal of restraint, or in Romans 1, it is the removal of restraint that allows sinners to, to reap the just fruits of their rebellion. That is the wrath of God. It's the removal of restraint that allows sinners to reap the just fruit of their rebellion. Another writer says it this way, that God simply ceased to hold the boat as it was dragged by the current of the river. Maybe you can picture that. We have a a current called sin, 
running very strong throughout humanity. And what God has done, according to Romans 1.18, because of their rejection of Him, He lets them go into the current, which takes them farther and farther down into their sin and the consequences of that. One writer says this, Divine judgment is God permitting people to go their own way. Permitting people to go their own way. This concept of God permitting people to go their own way is similar to what he did with the nation of Israel because of their rebellion, because of their refusal of their God, because of their idolatry. I showed this to you a few weeks ago in Psalm 81, verses 11 through 12. There is recorded these words, But my people, God's people, the nation of Israel, did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So here's what I did. I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels, which was always, which always resulted, if you study the, the book, the Old Testament, and you look at the history of Israel, when that happened, it was never good for the nation of Israel. It was always bad. It was always bad for them. One writer commenting on this passage here and his message concerning this, his name is John MacArthur, and you guys are familiar with him. Uh, Many of you have quoted him many times. He says this, There's only one force in the entire universe that can restrain evil, and that is God. And the problem with man is that God is not restraining him. God has abandoned him. That is the story of the human race. Now, beloved, thanks be to God, this is not total abandonment. God has abandoned idolaters to their sin. We see that historically. We even see that right before our eyes in our own current history. But God did not completely abandon the human race. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Now think with me, based on what we've just talked about, what I've just said, think about now the implications of God giving people over and the results of him doing that. Why in the world would God need to restrain man? Why would he need to do this? If humanity is basically good. Huh? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Do you know what that means? That's a statement. basically means that you probably are in agreement with what I'm saying. Maybe you're not. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. I want you to hear this. But those that are here probably understand that we're a messed up lot, that we are not okay, that we are not, at our core, good. But many around you, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, our culture, the movies, Disney, whatever it is, all keep pushing this message that humanity is basically at their core good. And if that is true, then why in the world does God need to restrain them? If he let them go, they would do many more good things. I put restraints on a vicious dog 
Not on a kind little sweet dog that'll lick your face. There's no reason to put restraints on that kind of dog. You understand? And why would not restraining them? I'll ask the other part of the question. Why would not restraining them or letting them go their own way, why would it then result in all the sinful behavior that is detailed in this section of Romans? Why? If humanity is basically good. Well, the answer is because every human being born into this world, me, you, you, the one next to you, your spouse, your children, every single one of us, we are born into this world with what? A cor- sin, a corrupted heart, a sinful heart, a heart that is inclined towards rebellion, a heart, hear me, a heart that naturally in its sinful state says no to God. It says no to God. The Bible, beloved, if people would actually read it, instead of pretending that they know what it says, when they don't, the Bible portrays humanity as depraved. You should write that word down if you've never heard it. Depraved. That's a word that accurately defines humanity's condition. Depraved. And while people are not always as bad as they can be, thanks be to God, we're not always as bad as we can be, we are as bad off as we can be. Because our hearts, according to the word of God, are deceitful and desperately sick. Jeremiah 17.9. Write it down, look it up. And that is the sad and awful truth. The Bible, beloved, presents a much darker picture concerning the realities of humanity than most people are willing to accept. I'll just tell you that right now. Most people do not want to hear anything about this. They don't want to hear about the true condition of humanity. They would much rather come and hear about how wonderful you are, how great you are, and all you need is a little pat on the back and go out there and do something wonderful with your life. Now I'm all for doing something wonderful with your life. But you need to know you're not wonderful. I'm not wonderful. You know, and I think this helps us. It helps us understand how unbelievable the grace of God is. You and I sing about the love of God. When you begin to understand the depravity of man, then that song becomes much more significant for you. He didn't love good people. He loved wretches, unrighteous people, depraved people, rebels, sinners, ugly, wicked, vile. That's who God poured out his love on. Huh? We reject people like that typically. We don't want anything to do with people like that. And yet God... Sent his son to die for people like that. People think, oh, I would never do that. You hear all these stories on the news. I would never do any. That is absolutely beyond me. Is it? Is it beyond you? Let me ask you something. Given the right circumstances, different family upbringing, 
born on a different side of the tracks, different influences, different friends, maybe throwing some drugs, a little bit of alcohol. You think you're not capable of such things? Maybe given enough time in a particular lifestyle, you think you couldn't do some of these awful, disgusting, and vile things? Oh, and by the way, the awful and disgusting, vile things that we do, we always put those in a different category as not as bad as those. So we're already doing awful and disgusting, vile things. And many of us have, many of us have done things that we just haven't got caught. I think if we got that, if you could just look and see here the depravity of man, you'd stop being haughty with one another. You would no longer look down your nose at another human being. Because you're just as messed up. Now maybe you aren't expressing it in all the ways they're expressing it right now. Maybe you've learned how to hide it inside. Good for you. No. You see? Paul says in Romans 3.10, we'll get there. There are none righteous. There are none. That's the conclusion of this section of Scripture. By the time he's done, if you don't walk away with the same conclusion, you missed it. There are none righteous. He's not saying there are some that are kind of good. No, there are none righteous. There's not like a middle ground, righteous, kind of righteous, not righteous. You're either righteous or you're not. And if you're not, you're sinful, you're wicked, you're vile. Doesn't mean you're, you're as bad as you can be. Thanks be to God, right? But you are capable of wicked things. I am capable of wicked things because of my condition. I see this all the time. You see a grandmother, sweet, sweet grandmother, right? How could a grandmother ever do anything wrong? But you put her in the right circumstances. Right? Vileness comes out. Now, the first point. God gave them up. Now that you understand, now that you start to, starting to think about, what does that mean, God gave them up? God gave them over. What did he give them up to? What did he give them over to? We know he gave them over to their sin, but Paul catalogs it. He defines it. Here's what he says. He gave them up to impurity. Look back at the text, Romans 1, 24 through 25. Look at the text with me. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The therefore, at the beginning of verse 24, it refers back to the preceding section that we just looked at, verses 18 through 23 which describe man's rejection of God and his worship of idols, that which is not God. The therefore means since they did that to God, he did this. Since they did this, verses 18 through 23, he did this, verse 24 and following. He gave them over. Verse 25 simply repeats the charge here of idolatry that's already been made against the people reaffirming the just cause for God's actions in giving them over to their sin. God is not unjust. We were just talking about this morning. He is just in what he has done. He is right. They are worthy. 
of it. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That is, they attempted to rid themselves of any knowledge of the true God and replace him with gods of their own making. But look at what the text says in verse 24. Look back at the word of God, beloved. It says that God gave them up in the lust of their hearts, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Guess what? There is a sinful lust that lives in the heart of man, in case you weren't aware of that already. Huh? By man, I mean humanity. Women also. There is a sinful lust that resides there. Because we are born sinners. We are born with corrupted hearts. Not good or wholesome hearts, as so many incorrectly say. The Greek word translated lust here in our English Bibles. It simply means a longing, a longing, a deep desire or craving. Okay? A longing, a deep desire or craving. And in this context, it is a longing or deep desire for those things that are absolutely forbidden by God. It's to want what God says you shall not have or that you should not want is craving for what is wrong, what is vile, what is wicked, according to God's moral standards. Okay? Not according to the world's sinful standards. Not according to some poll that was taken that determines what our morality should be. But according to God's standards. The one who created the world. The one who determines what is right and what is wrong. Because it's his world. And man says, no, I don't want to listen to you. I don't want you telling me what I can and can't do. Now, by God releasing humanity to the lust or evil corruption that resides within them, you know what happens? He delivers them then to impurity, to impurity. That is what the text says. That's, it's right there. The Greek word for impurity refers to something that is unclean or filthy. Unclean or filthy. And you should know that the word is repeatedly used in the scriptures in connection with sexual immorality. Okay, so you can look this up later on your own. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 5, and you will see the connection between impurity and sexual immorality. But I want to show you this last one. I want you to turn there, if you would, in your Bible so you can see it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. If you're using those blue Bibles, I believe it's page 987. If that's incorrect, you just let me know. Page 987, First Thessalonians chapter 4. And I actually want to read verses 1 through for you and I'll and I want you to see the context here and I want you to see the connection between sexual immorality and the word impurity that Paul says God has given people over to as he gave them over to the lusts that were in their heart beginning in verse 1 Paul also wrote this letter 
of chapter 4. Here are the words. Finally, he's writing to Christians, beloved, okay? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the Christians in Thessalonica. That's why it's called Thessalonians. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Here it is. That you abstain. You guys know what that word abstain means, right? We used to hear it more regularly because people talked about abstinence. In regard to our sexuality, that we would refrain from having sex until we were married. Abstinence, right? I don't really hear it too much anymore. In fact, the world says it's just a dumb, stupid message. No one even needs to hear it. It's ridiculous. The new message is safe sex. Abstain. By the way, there is no such thing. Just so you know. In God's eyes, there's no safe sex when it happens outside of marriage. It's always destructive sex. You might avoid STDs, maybe avoid an unwanted pregnancy, but you are reaping destruction because that's how God has designed it. Let's go back to the text. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain, you refrain, you don't do this from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body. Yeah, your body, your physical body, in holiness and honor. Get this, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, like the Gentiles who have rejected God, who are idolaters. You shouldn't be behaving like that. God's given them over to the lust of their flesh. You don't behave like that. Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because... The Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity. That's the word. And what's the context? Sexual immorality. He has not called us for that. He has not saved us for that. He has not redeemed us that we might dishonor our bodies in this way. But in holiness, God has called us. Therefore, you got to hear this. Paul says it. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man. They're not disregarding Paul, but God. But God. They're saying, here's the hand, God. I disregard you. Who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul reminds them. Sex that is immoral, by the way, which according to the word of God, just in case we're confused because our culture is so confused, it includes any sexual relations that are outside of a relationship of a married man and woman. Any sexual relations outside of the relationship of a married man and woman. One man, one woman. are unclean or filthy or impure. 
according to the word of God. According to the word of God. According to his instructions. According to how he has defined the world. And whoever rejects that, they don't reject man. They don't reject me. They don't reject you. They reject God. That's what the scriptures say. That's what they say. By the way, there are two other Bible translations of Romans chapter 1, verse 24. I'll read them to you very quickly. Romans 1, 24, just so you understand how they see it. NIV translates the text this way. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Here's another translation. It's called the New International Reader's Version. Sometimes can be very helpful. I try to simplify things. Sometimes they go too far, but I think this is a, a good choice here. Verse 24, so God let them go. He allowed them to do what their sinful hearts wanted to. He let them commit sexual sins. They polluted one another's bodies by what they did. Beloved, according to Romans 1.24, to engage in sexual immorality or sexual impurity is to dishonor, disgrace, or degrade the human body. Why? Because God did not design the human body for that purpose. It is a serious perversion of God's intended use for the very body that he gave you. This again is God. No, it's my body. I'll do what I want with it. You can't tell me what to do with it. You can't tell me who to have sex with. You can't tell me how to live. Whether it's expressed like that or not, in the sinful heart, that is what is occurring. That's what's occurring. That's what you guys got to realize. That's what I got to realize. That's what our culture needs to realize. That's the truth. One writer just says, our physical bodies were meant for better and more noble purposes. Well, when someone uses their body for sexual immorality, it is something like taking a sponge that is used for washing your dishes and using that sponge to wash your toilet. It is like taking the spoon that you use to scoop up your good cereal and going out into the yard and scooping up your dog's dung. Is that vivid enough? That's what it's like when we use our bodies that God gave us to practice, to engage in sexual immorality as God has defined it. What Romans teaches us, beloved, is the fact that humanity is truly depraved. They are to their core. And the awful and moral condition of our world is really the result of God's wrath. Of God's wrath of him permitting rebellious sinners to do what their sinful hearts want to. And as a result, suffer his wrath against their sin by reaping the devastating consequences of their sin. I don't want to end the message there, though. I don't want to end it there. Because the good news of the gospel contained in the full reading of Romans that Paul gives us, has given us, is that God graciously and continually reaches out and rescues 
sinners. That's the business that he is in. Continually reaching out. Rescue them from the utter mess that they have made of their lives. The wreckage that they have done to themselves as God gave them over to their sin as a, as a consequence of his wrath. God continues, beloved, to save undeserving sinners who are helpless and unable to save themselves. Aren't you glad? Because that was you if you're saved. That was me. Unable to do anything to make myself right with God. Too messed up to even pursue or go after God. I was a rebel to the core until God reached out and rescued me. He continues to call people to himself, beloved, through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. Do you understand that? This is why we continue to talk about the gospel. That is how God is determined to save wretched sinners through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. The good news concerning the salvation and transformation that is available to sinners through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The gospel. I want to read this text to you. I want to close with this to, to show you something here. Remember I... So we have these people, they've given themselves to all kinds of things. God is, they've given themselves, God has turned them over. They're all messed up. But God continues to rescue people in that mess. In that mess. And maybe this was true for you, but it took you getting to the point of being in such a mess. So low. That you finally looked up. And God was right there. I'll save you. I've provided you a savior. I'll rescue you from your stupidity. From your sin. From your rebellion. I will rescue you if you will believe. Huh? So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6. They were a church that came out of a culture very much like ours. Sexually perverted, sexually immoral, okay? All kinds of crazy stuff going on. Now they're rescued out of it, okay? Saved. But it's going around, and and they were involved in it. They were doing it. That was their lifestyle. But God saved them. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. He says, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. See, the world wants to deceive you, beloved. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. And this wasn't a... He wasn't, this wasn't an exhaustive list. He could add more. This is just a list that they would have been certainly aware of. Because they were all these things. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. None of them. 
When he says that, beloved, he's talking about those who give themselves to that life unashamedly, unrepentantly. No problem. They boast about it. They're proud about it. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. But this is what I wanted to show you. Verse 11. And such were some of you. Some of you were adulterers, idolaters, sexually immoral, homosexual, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were set apart by God. You were justified. You were made right with God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what you were. But God has rescued you from the pit of your depravity. So don't live in that anymore. That's not who you are anymore. You've been set apart. You've been justified. You've been washed. You are a saint because of Jesus Christ. Now live that way. Beloved, what our messed up and immoral world needs more than anything else, can I tell you? You know this probably already. You know what they need more than anything else? They don't need additional legislation. They don't need more laws. I'm not against laws. Laws are good. They're important. They really don't need more laws. We have enough laws in the books. People just don't obey them. And the answer really is not the perfect government. Well, that's never going to happen. The answer is not the right man in the White House. That's not going to happen either. It's just not. Because whoever ends up in the White House is a sinner. Whoever. Whatever party they're from. And they're surrounded by a bunch of sinners. So that's really not the answer. The answer, biblically speaking, that the apostles knew and they taught to their disciples, and the disciples were teaching in the early church, the answer to the problems of the world is for us to open our mouths and faithfully share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every person that God has brought into our life. Beloved, that's the answer. That is the answer. Devote your time, your energy, your prayers to the one thing that can transform people, that can change people, that can rescue them from the pit that they are in, from the slavery and bondage of sin that they are in. The gospel. And when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God in His mercy grants them the ability to hear and see and respond in faith. They are forever changed. They are forever changed. It doesn't matter what the laws of the land are. They have God's law working in their heart over time. They have the Spirit of God engaging with them to obey God and giving them now the desire and the want to no longer say, no, God, but to say, yes, Yes, God. Do they still struggle with sin? Do they still struggle with living in a sinful world? You better believe it. But they got something that the world doesn't have. A new life. A resurrected life. 
and the very spirit of the divine, powerful God dwelling inside of them. And a new heart. A new heart, beloved. God has to give us a new heart, not fix the messed up one we have. There is no fixing that one. It's depraved. But when he saves you, he will give you a new heart. And this is why it's such a mistake where people try to get right with God or try to, try, I'm going to start trying really hard. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start obeying all, all the things that I'm supposed to do. You can't until you get a new heart. And you can't get a new heart until you humbly come before Jesus Christ and go, I am a mess. I am a wreck. I am a sinner. I know I'm not as bad as I could be, but I'm as bad off as I can be. And I believe with all my heart, Lord Jesus Christ, that you took my sin upon yourself at the cross. Every single one of them, all rotten and vile, even the ones I haven't expressed yet out of my sin. You took every single one and God's wrath was laid upon you that I might be forgiven. And this is crazy, but Lord Jesus, your righteousness is accredited to my account making me acceptable to this holy God. And unbelievably, God, you give me your spirit and you give me a new heart. And now I can begin to change because now I'm saved. Lord, if you're here today, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in a real way, you don't have a relationship with him. You haven't given your life to him. You haven't even called upon him as I've just talked about realizing those facts to be true. But but now you do. Now the spirit of God's working on you. And you know you're lost. You're messed up. You are not saved. Then don't get out of your seat until you talk to God right now. Don't do it. Nothing is going to change in your life, really change, until you make a change with God through giving your faith or believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can do it right where you are. As I close in prayer right now, say, God, I believe these things. I know I'm a sinner and I know Jesus is the Savior of sinners and I want Him now. May He come into my life May He give me a new heart. May He save me. Do that now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we, as we work through Your Word, Lord, I, there's some hard truths here. Often these truths are avoided. But Father, we need to, we need to look at them. We need to look real closely. We need to see ourselves for what we really are it is in light of that father that we we come to really grasp the significance of your amazing grace it is in light of that that we realize father if you had not gone after us if you did permanently abandon us we would never come to you We would never come to you. Romans 3 says, there are none who seek after God. They're running from God. And yet, 
Father, in your love, in your grace, you sovereignly reach out. And you have chosen to do that through the preaching of the gospel. You reach out through people that you have saved, that you've already rescued. And they become the rescuers by simply sharing a message of the one who has rescued them. They're conduits of of the message of Jesus Christ. That's how you operate, Father. We are so grateful, those of us who know you now, who have been made right with you because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are so grateful that you have saved us, that you have rescued us. Father, for those that are here that still remain outside, still refusing to believe, Father, would they... Lord, I pray that they would come to their senses. The road that they are on will only lead to more ruin and destruction. There is no other destination on that path. And yet, Father, you call those people in their mess to simply come to you in faith, trusting in your son what he has done, and you will take them off of that road, and you will put them on the road of your righteousness. A road, Father, that leads to your eternal kingdom. Father, I pray that you would do that even this morning among this group. In Jesus' name, amen.